This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Oakshade Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. Thank you for tuning in. You've got a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for picking this one. My job to make sure you get something out of every episode, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to bring on Bill from Iron Will Outfitters. They make broadheads and arrow componentry. He is a engineer. He is an archery enthusiast. He's a hell of a shot, too. Phenomenal bow hunter and just a really cool, calm, smart guy that knows more than I do. I'm going to pick his brain on some of the stuff when it comes to like archery components and broadheads and penetration and shooting through shoulder blades and, and all that kind of stuff as it pertains to elk hunting. Now, as you're listening to this, I just got back from Elk Shape Camp, Texas. That was awesome. I'm home for like eight hours and now I'm going to hop on a plane with my family and we're going to head to Mexico and go on a family vacation. Why am I telling you this? Here's the deal. Many people listening are hunters. A lot of them would like to hunt as much as I do, if not more. And I'm always trying to like bring up ideas on how you can do that. So I don't want to like be a leader and live what I preach. And what I'm preaching is bankroll as much family time as possible. Fortunately for me, my wife doesn't listen to my podcast like ever. So I can say, First and foremost, no, I don't really feel like going to Mexico. Uh, we're bringing our kids. My daughter's six. My son's four. It's going to be a great time. I mean, we live in Spokane, Washington. It's very cold here in the winters. It's four seasons. Uh, we have mountains. I'm a happy camper living here. But, you know, 
December is pretty dark and gloomy, and it's still, man, old man winter is kicking. It's getting down to one degree tonight, so not a bad time to, to leave and get some sun, but I mean, I am overwhelmed. I need to catch up on all my responsibilities. I've been gone for a week, and it's just tough to to balance things out. So I intentionally sit down with my wife and I try to plan a family vacation. We don't do tropical vacations every year. We're, we're a pay cash for everything type of household. We're super blue collar. My wife works. I do elk shape. That's my work. I mean, we're not going to Hawaii every year. That's not us. And if you do that, that's cool. We haven't prioritized that. Uh, last time we went on a vacation was just me and my wife. And that was in Maui probably three years ago, and I actually did get a chance to bring my bow and hunt a half day in Maui, got a pig, actually I got two, shot a goat, actually I shot two, didn't get an axis deer, but I'm always trying to find a way to hunt. Another example is uh, we had this camp in Texas, and so we ended up like going down a couple days early and trying to do some public land awdad hunting, not in Texas, but close to Texas, and that was a bust, but it was fun to pack a bow and and do some bow hiking. And then when, when we were in Texas, we did some nighttime pig hunting, totally legal there in Texas. And that was super fun and exciting. I was able to shoot a pig with an AR. I've never even shot an AR before. That's how bow I am. I'm so bow, bow archery oriented, but super fun to shoot a pig in Texas and find ways to hunt. But my point of all this was try to find ways to spend as much time with your family in the spring and in the summer. So we have several camping trips planned and just dedicate yourself and fill up their bank accounts, make deposits of quality time and love and make some memories because I'm gone. September 1st, I'm out. I will see you October 1st or sometimes October 15th. And then I have several. So I'm gone so much. It's a balancing act and I haven't figured it out yet. The other thing I do, and I've talked about this on this podcast before is I put my hunting schedule as it's formulating now on the calendar ahead of time. I used to not do that. I used to kind of like just sneak that in. Oh, hey, honey, I was thinking about going to Idaho for three weeks. Or, hey, I got a Wyoming tag, by the way, so I'm going to be gone. No, I put, as soon as I know I got to hunt, I'm putting it on the calendar. And even though she might grimace a little or we might even have an... uh, a heated conversation about how much time I spend hunting, which we do, at least she knows and I'm communicating out in front versus no surprises, communication, quality time, faith comes first, then family, then hunting in my world. So that's that's just kind of what I had to do. So as you're listening to this, I'm in Mexico, I'm depositing quality time with my family and I'm doing it because I love elk hunting. I love my family and I want them to be there when I get home from all my hunts. And so, yeah, we're going to make some memories. So let's get to this podcast, but first let's pay some bills. I want to talk to you guys today about Vortex Optics. Been a partner with them since gosh, 2010. This company is American owned, veteran owned, and they're based in Wisconsin. I've been to their headquarters. It's unbelievable. So if you don't know about Vortex, they make a premium line of sport optics and accessories. They even have apparel, which I promote on this podcast. These guys are super dedicated, man. Like their customer service, their warranties, everything's of exceptional quality. And they they just back it up with that unconditional transferable lifetime VIP warranty that uh, I've had to use because I'm really hard on gear and they've always fixed anything I've broke with no questions asked. And, uh, I love that they've been in business for over 30 years. The, their apparel line's dope. Check it out if you need some new clothing for working out, 
scouting, lifestyle, or some of the stuff you could even wear hunting, believe it or not. But I wear it for workouts and lifestyle stuff. They came out with a couple of new things. Check out their new tripod line, carbon fiber, ultra light, super dope. Been testing it all all season long. I got prototypes in hand, put them through the paces. And I actually, that's all I'm using is their tripod systems now. So check them out. They have a few options. And uh, if you're interested, check it out. I think you'll, I think you'll dig it. They also came out with the Fury HD 5000 AB. So uh, dude, it's a darn good 10 by 40 binocular, but it's got 5,000 yard ranging capability and it's got the onboard applied ballistics for you guys. So you can do, you could do some really cool things in one unit. So you might want to check that out. Vortex, thank you for all your support. You guys, if you want to support me, support Vortex. They're the ones that like help me do what I do. And I appreciate your guys' support. When we get back from Mexico, we got an elk-shaped camp in Nashville, Tennessee, and that one actually is one of the few that hasn't sold out. So if you're a listener, if you're in the area, get your ass to elkshape.com and sign up for a life-changing experience. Yes, we'll teach you how to kill elk. That's obviously what it distills down to, but what there's more to the story. Is I'm going to preach to you a doctrine centered around discipline and delayed gratification. I want to get your family life dialed. And I want to have a really happy home. I want to get your finances dialed so that you are paying cash, saving for hunts, having an appropriate hunt budget for what your income is and your debt to income ratios. I want to talk about how big of a house to buy, what your payment should be, how to deplete your risks. I want to talk to you about how to not have credit card balances, and especially you young bucks out there, how to save, how to have liquidity, how to be able to take advantage of business opportunities as they come in retirements. So I bring Jeff Bynum with me. He's my personal financial coach, and I bring him to those camps. I bring Dirk Durham, arguably one of the best elk vocalization guys you'll ever hear, and he is a phenomenal educator on how to make these sounds with Phelps game calls, the bugle tube, the diaphragm reads. We talk about all the setups for elk hunting, whether it be a solo setup, which is what I do, sneaky attacks, which is a lot of what I do, or partner setups, like which is what Dirk does. We talk about how to get the tag in hand. Tag allocation's huge. How to get boots on the desktop, e-scouting, all sorts of stuff, Q&A, tactics, archery, nutrition, fitness, injury prevention, etc. Um, and we cram it all in in two and a half days. So we got a couple spots left uh, in Nashville. Marysville, Ohio is the next one. It's pretty much sold out. Boise's got a few spots left. Lancaster, Pennsylvania sold out. Denver, Colorado sold out. And then Ogden, Utah, there's a few spots left. Super stoked to do that. When we come back at the end of the podcast, I'll give you guys a couple discount codes to add value to today. Let's geek out on arrows. Let's geek out on archery components, broadheads, penetration, and figure out what's going to be the best setup for you for 2021 elk season. Without further ado, this is Bill from Iron Will Outfitters. Guys, I'm recording. Just hopped on the call. Didn't do any like initial talking and then hit record. We're going to do this organically. So we got Bill from Iron Will on the other line. Bill's out of Colorado, diehard bow hunter. Have we met before, Bill? And I was trying to remember that too. I know that um, initially when we started the company, my co-founder Eric, you know, reached out and and um, it contacted you. I don't think I've ever. I don't. I maybe have talked to you, but I don't think we've ever met in person that I can remember. I know. I can't believe that after this many years. But you guys have uh, 
been growing and growing, and we're going to talk all about your company and your products. But first, but first, you're a diehard elk hunter. So how did your 2020 season go, Bill? Man, there was a lot of bad things about 2020, but elk hunting wasn't one of them for me. I had a, I had an amazing year. I shot a, a great bull in Colorado, um, in 11 miles back in the, in the wilderness area, just an amazing hunt and a, just a giant animal. So my biggest bull, um, I haven't scored him, but he's in that, you know, 340 range of bull, just a, just a giant animal and, and just a gorgeous place too. It was everything about that hunt was, was pretty amazing. And, uh, then just a few weeks later, I went to Montana for the first time hunting there. I've, I've kind of wanted to extend my elk season into October by going to Montana and just went there, talked to a couple of buddies into it. Um, just picked a mountain range and put on a lot of miles and, and found some elk. And I ended up shooting a, a great bull there too, a six by eight bull. Um, yeah, I couldn't be happier with the way my elk seasons went this year. That's awesome. Uh, it's not by luck and chance. I mean, there's some of that, but you put in the work and I don't think a lot of people know, but I know how good of an archer you are when it comes to like putting in the work and being extremely technical and proficient. Do you shoot competitively? Uh, no, I really don't. Um, I mean, I, I used to shoot some 3D tournaments and stuff more just to, you know, have the pressure of other people around and get more more shots on, um, you know, 3D targets, which was good. Um, but I really don't do hardly anything uh, competitive anymore. I mean, I go to Total Archery Challenge. I try to shoot a few events there. I, I love that. That's that's a lot of fun with friends. Um, <clears throat> but we score more like just how many arrows did you did you lose that day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm I'm pretty happy when I keep them all in, in the foam at those events. Um, but yeah, I've I've worked. Uh, I I mean, bow hunting is is my passion. Um, backcountry bow hunting, I love it and. I've worked really hard at getting better at it for, for many years now and, and you know, kind of reaping the rewards uh, in the recent years with, with some good success on animals. So do you have a nine to five or are you all in with Iron Will? I am a, I'm full-time Iron Will um, for a couple of years now. Yeah, I left my kind of corporate engineering job um, four years ago now and uh, that's really when we launched the company was January, 2017. Um, we first went to like the Denver sportsman show and showed our product and really kind of launched at that point. Um, I'd left my corporate job, but I was doing, you know, side jobs for about two years, um, without pulling a paycheck to, you know, pay the bills and, and to grow the company. But the last two years, um, yeah, the company has been successful enough that it's my full-time job. So yeah, that's, it grew faster than I thought it would or could, um, but that's that was kind of my dream to be able to just full-time design, develop broadheads, um, archery products for what I want to do and, um, and and test them as much as possible out in the woods. Mm-hmm. I love that. So tell us about the days where you punched the clock corporate job and you side hustled on this because to me that's exciting that requires so much dedication and sacrifice. And I love hearing those kind of stories. Yeah. You know, when we first, you know, for years I worked on the broadhead development just as kind of a, I wouldn't say a hobby because I was just driven to make a better broadhead to get through. I had a, 
I had a failure on an elk shoulder blade way back in 2004 now, but um, after a couple years of research and testing heads, I started on my own broadhead design and you know, I've been doing um, product design development um, at, a, at a high level for other companies with you know, just the best engineering tools and processes available. And I tried to apply all that to, to broadheads, but um, you know, that was, you know, some nights and weekends and, you know, Christmas breaks and, you know, things like that, trying to evolve that as much as I could. But then we decided we we're going to make a company out of it. <clears throat> yeah, that was a lot of work at that point. Um, a lot of nights and weekends. And then when I left my corporate job and did, did the side work there, one of my jobs was, uh, was doing expert witness work for patent infringement lawsuits. And so that was, um, I, I've got a lot of patents from past designs at other companies. So it was enough that I could, you know, look at, uh, look at a pat, look at a design and say whether it infringed on a patent or not, and do a declaration on that. It ended up being, you know, a lot of writing and then going and testifying. And so it was, it was travel and, you know, that was a lot of, a lot of time too, but it, it paid well enough that I could do that to pay the bills and, and keep the company going. But yeah, it's, it's tough in those uh, early years trying to uh, get a new business going and, you know, still paying the bills because in 2017, I had three kids in college. So it was, a, it was a rough, rough time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that'll be me someday. Um, okay, dude. So I got to like, I got to ask you like 2017, uh, Eric calls me up and says, hey, we're coming out with these new broadheads. I want to try them. <clears throat> and I'm still to this day i love to tinker and mess with everything i can get my hands on it i'm always trying to find just little little improvements that you know can make me better or forgive me more and uh i tested i i don't remember the name it might have been a v series but it was vented and it shot so well and at the time you guys i don't think you had a solid offering and I remember just telling them, hey, man, these things fly awesome. They're a little noisy, but I can't believe the flight. This is cool. And that's kind of how I got introduced to you guys. And then fast forward, you guys have several different broadheads and um, a bunch of different offerings on aero components. I think knives. I'm probably missing other things. So let's just get into a little bit of what you guys have to offer. And then just know I'm going to segue into trying to figure out the most I guess I just want the best setup for elk when it comes to an arrow top to bottom. So let's hear about your offerings. Yeah. So you're right. We started with our, our V series, um, which was a vented head that, and it went from hundred grains to 225 grains, um, at that time. And yeah, yeah, they, f they fly great, penetrate great on animals. Um, and we use an A2 tool steel at 60 rock. We'll see hardness. So, extreme we can get them extremely sharp and they retain that edge really well you know slicing all the way through the animal and and really found out that was that is key to have an edge that doesn't get damaged and stays sharp and slices through and that's that's the key to great penetration um it's kind of obvious now if you think about a super sharp knife and how easy it is to cut into you know hide and meat but um i don't think a lot of people think about that in terms of their broadhead edge and how sharp it needs to be but Anyways, we had we had great success with that head, but we had a lot of people asking for um, solid blades. Um, they're look they're a little quieter, um, a little stronger. Not that we had any strength issue with that blade; it, it can it can pound through femur bones and not be damaged. But 
Um, we did come out with our S series then after that, and and that's kind of taken over as our most popular um, broadheads. Our um, S series is kind of what we recommend for out west big game. It's relatively compact, so it flies well at, at long distance, penetrates great. Um, so that was came out with that one a couple of years ago. Um, then last year we added a wide series of broadheads. We had a lot of guys, um, primarily whitetail hunters, really, that had closer range shots. They were going through deer and, you know, burying their arrow into the dirt and saying, I've just got so much more energy I could get through with with a head that's quite a bit wider. And, you know, for a long time I said, yeah, you can, but I mean, they're, they're killing them just fine, right? I mean, they're, <laughs> they're um, not going very far because uh, they're not that shocked from that zipping through so quickly. Um, you know, they're doing well. A lot of, and I think the last eight white tails I shot died in sight. So I wasn't really seeing a reason for it, but at the same time, um, started designing a wider version and testing that quite a bit and came with that last year. And that, that was really popular, um, for bear hunters, whitetail hunters, and, and some elk hunters as well. Um, I generally recommend since it's so much, it's an inch and three eighths wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder blade. Um, versus our, our standard is an inch and sixteenth wide main blade and three quarter inch wide bleeder. So that's a one point eight one two inch total cut versus our wide head is a two and an eighth inch total cut. Um, and you know, just with a bigger head, I mean, it's it's really well made. It spins true and it can be shot very long range. It's just that a bigger head is not as forgiving in general for those longer range shots if your form's not right or there's wind or anything like that. So it's generally I generally recommend it for, you know, 50 and under 50 yards and under type shots. Um, and I've said on deer and elk, deer and, and bear, but you know, it's zipping through moose fine. I mean, elk fine as well. Um, and I haven't really tried it on moose, but anyway, that was our wide series. Uh, we added last year and then new for this year that we just, um, just announced is a wide solid head. And so that's really just our wide blade. Um, but an all solid version that'll start at 150 grains and go up to 250. And then, uh, the other thing I've been working on for a year and a half or so now is, is just doing a single bevel grind on our, on our S series blade, basically. Um, and you know, there's, there's quite a following for single bevel and I've, I've really thought that a, a double bevel with bleeders was a better solution than just a two blade single bevel. Um, you just get quite a bit more cut and I felt like it opened up holes better, but, um, I've, I've decided to come out with that single bevel grind version. I've been testing that a lot and I'm doing it with and without the single bevel bleeder as well. And I mean, the cool thing about single bevels is that you get rotation through the animal <clears throat> where you don't with the double bevel. It just hits and it just slices, um, slices straight through. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. You get excellent penetration. With the single bevel, um, because of the just bevel on one side, you get that pressure just on one side of that blade, and it pushes it to one side. On you know, on let's say the top, it pushes the other side on the bottom, and you get this rotational effect as it goes through tissue. And we just captured some high-speed video um, shooting through a buck where you can actually see the arrow rotating, the arrow impacting, and then continue to rotate all the way through the pass-through. Um, and the advantage of that is that the entrance and exit hole now are not just straight cuts, but they're kind of these 
these S cuts is it's kind of turning and cutting and it, the holes are sometimes round or even square where it's opening up the holes pretty well. And, um, and you're getting that a little more tissue cut as you go through. So that's our latest thing. I didn't expect to be excited about single bubbles, but, um, the results on that one have me excited to uh, shoot a lot more animals with it and, and see how it does. Oh, for sure. Um, I, the single bevel crowd they're you know, there's just little crowds, little pockets. They got the huge FOC people and the heavy, heavy arrows and the single bevels and all that stuff. And I, I've always been pretty like try to stay neutral and kind of compromise very little and not really sway one way or the other. Just kind of like, I don't want to call it politics of broadheads and arrows, but I do try to kind of stay neutral, whereas I don't want to be way left or way right. But um, I want to discuss arrows a little bit with you. And before we do that, we got to kind of learn what you guys offer for arrow components, and then we can kind of geek out. I'm going to pick your brain on what you've been using for elk, top to bottom on setup. My setup's changed a little bit throughout the years. Pick your brain, get your thoughts, because I'm into it, man. So what did you, when did you guys start making arrow components? What do you make? Yeah, yeah, good question. So what, when I got to the point where um, the broadhead was, you know, very strong and could, could pound through bones and not be damaged, what I found the weak point now was my arrow connection. And I liked... I liked doing the having a hit insert to where the broadhead shank was aligned directly to the idea of the arrow. Um, you know that really cuts out some tolerances compared to a half outer outsert um, because you know your that shank on that broadhead is 0.2035 inches and that so inside a 204 diameter arrow you've only got a couple of tenths per side that that broadhead could could you know tilt just barely. So it's, it's really, if you have a good arrow in your broadhead and you have a good broadhead and it's aligned directly to the, to the tightest tolerance surface on the arrow, which is the ID and our tightest tolerance surface on our broadhead, which is that shank. Um, and we, you know, we make them on a Swiss machine to 10 thousandths of an inch concentricity. Um, it's really guaranteed that's going to spin true. And so versus if you add some, say a half out, now you've got, you know, a shank that's going to go in the broadhead and have some clearance around that where that can tip a little bit. You've got, um, depending on what the material is and the machine making that, um, it's really common to have three thousandths run out or more on that, on that part itself. And so if it's tipped a little bit and the end is, has this three thousandths run out, then you extrapolate that out to the point of your broadhead. Now you can have the tip of that broadhead be, you know, wobbling 10 thousandths side to side or more, um, with half outs or outserts. So anyway, that's why I like aligning directly to the, to the bore in an arrow. Um, the, the negative with the hit insert was if you have a hard side impact, you just have carbon around the shank of the arrow and you can kind of smash in that carbon or even break it out slightly to the side. And so what I was doing for my own, um, durability testing through bones and things is I was making these one inch um, steel hardened steel sleeves that would go over the arrow and have a little flange over the end. So you you push it on, it stops at the end of the arrow, and you can bond them on, or the broadhead holds it on. But it overlaps with that hit insert, so it just reinforces the end of the arrow really well. Um, and then you still get great concentricity. And and the other big advantage that has over a half outer outsert is 
the broadhead is is built into the arrow still. You're building strength into the arrow versus trying to mount something off the front of it that might be strong, but it's uh, you know it's it's got this big lever arm to it and. There's, there's some really high forces when you impact, say, a bone or something on the side of the broadhead. Uh, you get a lot of side force from that. And if the broadhead is built into the arrow, you know, the whole kind of arrow will flex and take that up. But if if your broadhead's mounted out, you know, an inch or more in front of the, the arrow, which it typically is on half-outs or outserts, now you got this big lever arm like a breaker bar on there where you're cranking, cranking on it. And it's going to very commonly bend, um, bend those ha- those inserts, you know, those half outs or do a little, little do a little arrow damage. So, um, anyway, that's, that's the conclusion I came to. I really was just making them for my own use. And, um, I, enough people had seen me with them. Enough friends wanted me to make them for them. I made a short run of them and then just offered them for sale. And, and, and I had even talked to Easton about it and, um, maybe them, you know, asking why they didn't make it. And they felt, you know, it's pretty small, pretty small market of the high end bow hunter that really is looking for that high, high strength, you know, ultimate setup. Um, anyway, um, I came out with them just as I made a small volume, not really expecting them to sell much because nobody probably really knew what an impact collar was. Um, I also licensed the hit insert technology from Easton license their patents on it so I could make higher strength hit inserts. I wanted to make them out of grade five titanium and hardened steel. So that's what we do now. And, um, man, has that, that become popular the last couple of years, it was amazing how many people were really wanting to reinforce the end of the arrow and, and that connection there. I definitely am, am one of those people that's kind of leaning towards that way. Now I've ran inserts from Easton's technology forever. I've had, I've done the brass inserts for a long time and I've had great success, but it does always make me wonder, especially if you shoot a lot of broadheads, like, gosh, is there a way to make this more robust? And so the impact impact collar makes a lot of sense to me. Explain to me like on your typical 204 diameter. So for those listening, that's your most common arrow diameter, like a five millimeter axis is a 204. Does does your impact collar actually, so let's say I put your insert in the arrow, does your collar, like, do I have to sand down the arrow to slip the collar over the arrow? How does that fit together? Because that's what I'm not understanding. No, there's a, there's a slip fit. And for, for the Easton um, axis arrows, it's, it's about a thousandth of an inch on the diameter. So um, it'll just be a, it, it'll just, it'll just slide right on. Mm-hmm. And you can bond them on, um, but you don't need to. And, and often I don't just so it's easier enough to move them from arrow to arrow. Um, and we make them, you know, two or four diameter arrows are, you know, Easton axis, um, black Eagle rampage, um, gold tip kinetic, um, you know, VAP, um, I guess victory, um, the rip, the rips, uh, rip TKOs. Um, so our, you can use, our hit inserts and impact or Easton's hit inserts and our impact collars in, in any of these. And, um, yeah, and Easton's inserts are their standard ones are like a 16 grain aluminum. And then they have 50, 75 brass. A lot of people are probably familiar with that. And, and our, our materials are just going to be, you know, a hardened steel versus a brass or aluminum is 
I don't know, four or five times stronger. So it just gives you that on hard impact, you know, you're not going to damage um, any, any threads as well. Um, but I think the bigger factor is just that impact collar. And when we make that all the way down to a uh, 10 grain titanium now as well for the people that wanted to add the strength, but really didn't maybe want to change arrows um, or have to go to a different spine by adding the 25 grain hardened steel version. Um, so that that's not a bad idea too. If you've got arrows set up already and you just want to add a little bit of strength, that's an option there. Okay. Well, I like that idea i'm kind of leaning towards tinkering that way so we'll talk about that in a second let me give you my current setup and stats and then let's go right into yours and let's compare and contrast so i have a 27 inch draw length i shoot a matthews so they max out at 75 pounds and that's great i used to shoot for hoyt for several years and would make them up to 85 pounds but the 75-pound draw cycle on a Matthews is, I'm telling you, it's darn near equivalent to an 80-something-pound Hoyt. So I have Axis 5-millimeter. I used to do FMJs. I wanted to go with a little bit of a lighter setup when I switched to Matthews. I'm only getting 275, 280 feet per second. And so... The axis I've cut them as short as possible so that there's still some arrow touching the launch, the riser, I'm sorry, my launch blade on my hamski, but I cut them pretty short, man. And so my total arrow weight's 454 grains with the 75 grains of brass up front. And I've used a 100 grain three blade fixed broadhead. And I've clocked my bow, and, and it seems to want to spit left. And so I've tried all sorts of configurations, and I actually settled in on helical to the left. And people ask me, well, does your broadhead come unscrewed? And my answer is no, it doesn't. Uh, my fill points do a little after a long practice session, but that's what I've been running the last couple of years. Before that, I used to be in the 530 range total weight setup. Uh, but my FOC is right at 15%. I've done the math on that, and it's been pretty good. But I'm wondering if I can get away with going lighter but still have that front of center that's not obnoxious and make my arrows stronger like your impact collars. And I'm not sure if I'd have to drop, you know, keep my spine which is 340 so that's kind of what i've been using i've had a lot of really good results with that um what's your thoughts on that yeah 454 with 175 total up front yeah i think that's that's a good elk setup um i often tell people i, I like that 450 to 530 range or so um for elk uh, my yeah my setups um my 70 pound bow I had a 300 spine axis um, was my main arrow there. And I, I think I had 160 up front and I was about 500 grains total. Um, that was my setup last year. And I did that with a 25 grain hardened steel hit insert, a 125 head. And then I could do either 10 grain collar or a 25 grain collar to hit either like 160 or 175 um, up front. And, you know, that came in right around 500 grains. Um, 
and that was that was with my Hoyt this year. I kind of go back and forth between Hoyt and Matthews. Um, I, I've used both those bows quite a bit, and and like them both, and and like both companies. And so I've I've just kind of tried to stay with, keep shooting both of them, and uh, and you know give them a see which one does the best each year. But uh, last year I shot Matthews VXR 75 pound. Um, I've got a 30 inch draw. My arrows are cut to 29 and a half inches. So I'm, I'm just a little over an inch past my Hamski rest. And that's something with our impact collars, you need to be, mm-hmm. our, our steel collars are one inch past, are one inch long. And our titanium collars at 10 grains are um, seven tenths of an inch long. So you need to, um, yeah, you'd probably have, you'd have to see how much, you know, draw back, have somebody t- take a marker and mark just at the front of your rest and then measure to the end of your arrow and see if you've got seven tenths of an inch or more. Um, you know, at, at one inch past my rest or, you know, maybe 1.1 inches, um, my arrow, the end of my arrow, the start of my broadhead is, is right about on the burger button on my setup, which, um, or maybe just a hair behind it. I like but, it. Uh, so anyway, I'm at, um, it's with the 260 axis. If I, um, if I have 160 up front, I'm at 530 grains total with that. And that's with a 25 grain hit, a 125 grain head, and um, and a 10 grain titanium collar. Um, and I've also shot that setup with a 25 grain collar and, um, and, and, a, and a spinal K for either of those, 160 or 175 up front. And then I'm at, you know, 530 or, or, or I guess it'd be um, 15 more, so 545 with those setups. You know, if I look over the last five years, what I've used on elk, it's kind of been in that force. I start. I was at kind of 470 and up and they've all performed really well. Um, when I went to a 75 pound bow, I could get away with a little more weight and in the same speed. So I bumped it up a bit more this last year. That's still quite the meat missile. So is there more strength and that you're the engineer? Is there more strength and tolerance in um, the 25-grain stainless steel collar versus the 10-grain the titanium? The material is very, very similar in strength. That grade 5 titanium is, is really tough, really strong material. Um, and and that's, why, um, that's why our lighter weight, like our 100-grain and even our 125-grain solid heads are are so strong for the, that weight of head because we use that titanium ferrule and it's, it's super strong. And we use that same material in the impact collar. Um, so that collar material is great. Um, you know, I was just shooting through heavy, heavy bones this last weekend with high speed camera. And I had on those, those titanium collars and man, you could just see the shock wave going through that arrow when I hit a, a glancing blow on it. And, you know, everything spun true afterwards and it still looks good. So I don't see any strength issues at all with titanium with the, with the steel, you just get that little bit more overlap of one inch. Um, the, the hit insert gets pushed down in there 0.458 inches. So, um, with the one inch collar, you've got an over a half inch overlap. Um, but with the seven tenths, you still got about, you know, quarter inch, three tenths inch overlap, which, uh, which seems to be enough to get the strength. So, yeah, the steel, I mean, might be a little stronger, um, but man, I don't think you'll see a difference between the two. Copy that. Okay, so 
for those that are maybe struggling to follow along with us, let's have you break down kind of just the said differences, like super basic between what we're talking about here, a caller system versus and a hidden insert versus an, a half cert and an out cert, just so we're clear as we go on to the next questions. Yeah, um, sure. I, you know, I, I live this stuff every day. So I sometimes, uh, and I'm an engineer, so sometimes you got to, um, stop me and tell me when I'm, I'm not explaining things well. Um, but so, and let's talk a little bit about arrow, arrow sizes. Maybe what, what's, what used to be the standard, <clears throat> standard size arrow is a two, four, six ID or Easton calls them six millimeter. It was, you know, say the gold tip hunter arrow. Um, it's what everybody was kind of using before the axis came along really, I think. So that kind of an arrow is big enough that you can have a, an insert that pushes down in there and then the broadhead screws into it and goes into the arrow, but the broadhead itself isn't touching the arrow ID. It's all within the insert. And that's, that's kind of the standard insert for a standard diameter arrow. <clears throat> and then, then, you know, Eastern axis came along and, and others um, that are small diameter arrows that are the 204 ID. And um, Easton, with Easton Axis, they came out with a hidden insert or hidden insert technology where it's, it's this threaded insert that you push down inside of the, the shaft with a little tool um, and you bond it down inside and the little tool pushes it in and it kind of squeegees any epoxy out so the, shaft, so the idea of the bore is clean. And now your broadhead will will fit right into the arrow. All you'll see at the end of the arrow is, you know, just the carbon arrow. But if you look down inside, there's the insert sitting down in there about a half inch deep. Um, so your, your field point, your broadhead will go down in there and, and then thread into that. So that's really what we're talking about is the two or four diameter arrows and the, the hit insert down in there. And now we have an impact collar. That's just a sleeve that slides over the OD of that arrow. So before you screw in your field pointer broadhead, you slide the sleeve over, there's a little flange on the front of it that goes downward, overlaps the front of the arrow, but yet has a hole through it so you can you can thread through it. Um, <clears throat> so that's the small diameter or two or four diameter arrow. There's also the micros, which are a 166 or 165, um, and it, so that's 0.166 inches or 165 inches um, ID. and that's like the Eastern carbon injection or the black Eagle, um, X impact or deep impact or the, the, uh, gold tip, uh, Pierce arrows, for instance, <clears throat> and those, a standard, a standard shank broadhead can't fit in there. No way, no how, cause it's a two or three, five shank. So it's bigger than the idea of that. So, um, the two solutions there are having an outsert or half out. And so what I mean by half out is a half out has a, has a shank that goes down inside the diameter of the arrow and then and then it has a cylinder kind of that sticks out in front of the arrow and then your broadhead will thread into that part and easton makes a titanium half out for instance where there's no kind of there's nothing going over the outside of the arrow it's all just this one it's all this one insert piece which goes half into your arrow and half out and you know that's kind of why they call it a half out i believe so, um, and, and they work, but the negatives are what I was talking about before, where you have this, this tolerance stack up from 
that shank going down into the bore and some, you know, some amount of clearance there that would allow that half out to, to say cock a little bit one way or the other. And then you've got the, a machine part with some tolerances between that. There, there's tolerances on the diameters of those bores between the shank and the, and then that hole that you're going on the other side, there's diameter tolerances, there's concentricity tolerances. Um, so that, and then when you screw your broadhead in there and there's some clearance there where it can cock and then there's some tolerance stack up, um, just in that part itself. And, and now you're in any tilting. Now you kind of extrapolate that out to a couple inches or more out to the tip of that broadhead. You can, you can kind of envision where it's, it's very easy for the tip of that broadhead to be off, off center. Um, and, and you'll see that if you spin them. So, um, you know, that's a little more explanation on the half out versus the hit. And just one more thing on the micros. So on a micros, you either have a half out, which is, you know, half shank inside and a thing out or an outsert, which is, it doesn't go inside the arrow at all. It's just a sleeve that goes over the outside of the arrow and it has, um, you know, kind of a cylinder that sticks out in front of the arrow and it's got all the, the hole and the tap in front of in that. Um, and remember old Beeman arrows way back had, they had just had outserts, um, with the original carbons. Um, so, and, and that's even, to me, that's even worse because the tolerances aren't as tight on the OD of the arrow and there's typically, and, and it varies from arrow to arrow. And so there's, there's more clearance there and those can be cocked even, even more than, than half outs. Um, then the other solution for a micro is, um, is a deep six hit. So it's a hit insert technology, just like I described in a 204 diameter arrow, but it's a smaller diameter. It's got that 165 diameter to it. And so the, the hit insert, and it's got a 640 thread on it. And that's why they call it a deep six. So the hit insert is pushed down in, and then you have the shank going on in there. And we do make a hardened, you know, we do make high strength hit inserts and impact collars for micros as well, but they're the deep six thread system. Um, I do think that's probably the best micro system going personally because of all the advantages of, of having the broadhead built into the arrow and building that strength in and aligning directly to the ID. But um, that 166 shank and the 640 threads just aren't as strong as a 204. Um, so I think the best the best thing going right now for total strength um, in your setup is, I think, that 204 ID arrow with a hit insert and a collar and a high strength, you know, materials, high strength broadhead. Yep. And that's probably what I'm going to be tinkering with. And I just based on our conversation, I, I got a feeling I'm going to have to mess with the grain of broadhead that I choose and the grain of the sleeve, you know, or the collar, whatever you want to call it, uh, because I don't want to step down to a 300 spine. I want to stay at 340, that grain per inch. I'm really, I'm really picky. Um, I don't have a long draw length, and I can really get a, you know, a sight tape that ends up looking like a novel. Just it goes and goes and goes because it's, you know, and so I think everyone has to kind of figure out what's their best practice. But I haven't heard you say one thing about going super super heavy and when i say heavy i mean that 600 plus grain mark which seems like i stumbled upon um some guy on youtube called ranch ferry who makes 
you know, a lot of videos about super, super heavy, heavy stuff. Have you messed with any of that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I know the, I know the ranch very, uh, probably talked to him once a month, the last six months or so. And, and, and I know Dr. Ashby too. I've, I've talked to him about his study and got some of his input on the single bevel design. And, um, you know, I think there's some myths out there and one of them is a 650 grain threshold. And, you know, with, you know, it's really the momentum that gives you penetration. It's that, you know, change in momentum, that mass times velocity at impact that gets, that gets changed to force times time or really kind of the area under the force time curve because the force is going to vary through the animal. But increasing your momentum is what increases your penetration. <clears throat> mass by itself doesn't do anything. If you take a 650 grain arrow and throw it by hand at a bone, it'll, it's going to bounce off, right? <laughs> so you need to have a velocity. Um, I think it's fair to say Dr. Ed Ashby found that 650 grains was the weight he needed out of his longbow at, you know, going, you know, 150 feet per second or, or whatever his speed was on um, Cape Buffalo and Asian Buffalo ribs. He found 650 grains was was kind of the threshold to where he was consistently breaking, breaking through those bones. Um, it doesn't really apply to modern compound bows. Um, a lot of his findings and I've, I've compared my, my test results to him and he's a great guy. He's really just trying to help people be more lethal and, um, he doesn't have any agenda. I think he's just, I think he's, uh, did some really good work, but, I think that, um, you know, what he did was really close range with a longbow and, you know, FOC is another one, for instance, um, you know, it, it'll be quoted that going from 19% FOC to 22% FOC, you'll double your penetration. Well, that, that defies all the laws of physics. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, um, that, you know, the, the physics there, um, the laws of physics says change of momentum equals force over time. So there's no FOC, there's no front of center. Um, there's no FOC in that calculation. If your arrow is going straight, um, if it's going perfectly straight, when it impacts the animal, the, the position of the center of mass, uh, doesn't really matter if it's, if it's way at the back. Okay. If it's way at the back and the arrow's not going straight. Yeah. I can see a problem there. It's going to bend your arrow sideways, um, or something like that. But if it's all directly in line, it's really just the mass times velocity that's going to determine the penetration. Um, FOC gives you some other benefits. It improves stability. You can get by with a little less um, fletching back. But um, if you go too high with mass or FOC, you really limit your trajectory. And I think it's, I, I think those are um, bad for outwest hunter, really going too heavy. Um, on your arrow and trying to get too high of FOC. Um, I mean, it's fine if you want to do it, but it's going to limit your range. And so if you're like a 30 yard and under guy, you know, go, go nuts with it. But, um, you know, me personally, I want to shoot 120 yards. Um, I want my sight tape to go that far so I can practice that distance and shoot total archery challenge with my buddies and, and have fun and use my same hunting setup, um, and be able to, I really want to be able to shoot animals at west from say 50 to 80 yards. Um, it's, 
it's just surprising how, you know, I moved to Colorado um, a little over 20 years ago now and from Wisconsin. And I had this, you know, whitetail hunting background where 40 inch, 40 yards max was kind of my range. And man, I passed up so many bucks and bulls in that 50 to 65 yard range. And when I extended my range to that distance and beyond, it's really, it's really the reason why I got, I went eight for eight on tags last year is, you know, it's, it's, having my you know system dialed in, having a broadhead I had total confidence in. Um, but I got to say, extending my range out and being really confident at those, you know, making those, say, 70-yard shots is is pretty key, I, I feel, uh, to be really successful as a out west big game hunter. So that 650-grain arrow and high FOC, I mean, that's not for me. You know, the physics says that as FOC gets higher, you start getting this kind of nose diving, and, and we can go into the – a rocket science of it if you want to but um yeah it, it's going to limit your trajectory if you try to go too heavy yeah no i don't think we need to honestly yes you, you said what i was hoping you would say like the ashby studies are awesome there's some great principles but the dude was shooting a long bow i i don't shoot a long bow i can i'm the the compound's plenty hard for me plenty of a challenge and so that's why i kind of on our YouTube channel, we get a lot of those. I they got to be Ranch Ferry fans or something, and I don't know the Ranch Ferry at all. And 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 if he's promoting archery, I stand behind him. But I don't. I'm not big into these heavy FOCs. I I've always found that 15 percent, you know, 13 to 15 to be really what works well for me and my short draw length. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's typically where I end up as well. Let's talk about penetration since you guys. Um, pretty much exhaust those tests and you have laboratories to do that, which I don't. And I really want to film that kind of stuff. I think I find it fascinating. And, um, you know, when it comes to penetration, there's no denying that a two blade, in my opinion, is going to penetrate more than a three blade, obviously. Um, but the reason why I got you on the podcast is I heard you on another podcast. I think it was this last summer, it was definitely before hunting season and you're um, with Jordan on rock slide and you were talking about your penetration tests and spouting out numbers that literally caught my attention. And so it would be a shame for those that haven't heard that. And I want to make sure that we cover that here. So I guess maybe we could have you talk a little bit about your testing protocols and what you've experienced, you know, yeah, yeah. Some of our um, some of our results, if anybody wants to look at it and, and follow along or look at it later, our our uh, website's ironwalloutfitters.com. And in the upper right, there's a company. You can click company, drop down menu, test results, and and you can look at some of them there. But um, you know, so the, the physics really, you can look at it as as conservation of energy or conservation of momentum when you're trying to kind of calculate how much penetration am I going to get? And, um, it's kind of a little easier to think about it in terms of energy. So when that arrow is about to hit the animal, it's, um, you know, it's got a mass, it's got a velocity. So it's got a, a kinetic energy, one half MV squared. It's going to have a certain amount of, there's going to be some energy losses at impact, but it's going to have a certain amount of useful energy that's transferred to, to work. And, um, and work is force times distance. So, yeah, whatever, whatever useful energy you got, it'll be transferred to this force times distance. And so 
we, and we're really looking for, okay, what's the distance we're going to get through here? And it's really going to be dependent on what's the force to cut through that animal. And it's a one-to-one. -one. If you cut that force in half, you're going to go twice as far through the animal, for instance. So <clears throat> what I found is, is a good way to, to show that to people and compare is um, I have an Instron machine, which is a, it's, um, it's a very accurate force measurement device where I can plug in the velocity that I want this head to move down at, um, velocity over time, and it's got a transducer head that measures the force very accurately and push it down through um, different, um, different hides, moose hide, meat, um, hide, hide over meat or hide over meat and scapulas and um and now we're talking yeah so the most recent testing i did is is what's shown on our web web page there but what i saw to go through um hide and muscle with our with the iron wheel broadheads it took um 11 pounds of force and with a and and, and really a testing here i was trying to show the difference of people of of a extremely sharp two blade head with bleeder blades versus a three blade chisel point, a three blade cut on contact head, um, which is like a three blade, like one piece, like it'd be like a monolithic um, solid head that was three blade that would have, you know, you kind of resharpen it by just pushing it on a flat stone. So it's got like a 30 degree per side. Like a Montex? Angle. Yeah, like that kind of a head. Yep. yep. And there's a number of companies that make them, but yep. and, I, and I've tested most of them. Um, and then a rear deploy mechanical, one of the very popular rear deploy mechanicals. Like a so, rage? Um, on, so for the meat, for the hide and muscle, iron wheel was 11 pounds. Three blade chisel point was 81 pounds. So Damn. You know, almost eight times, almost eight times higher. The three blade cut on contact for that was 60 pounds. Um, so, you know, about six times higher than a really sharp two blade. And then the rear deploy mechanical, it hit, um, I, I say 150 plus here, it actually hit 160 and then it was gonna, it was smashing it all down so bad that it was, it was gonna hit the head on the steel table below and damage my load cell, so I had to stop it, but it hadn't actually cut through the hide yet at, 100, at 150 plus pounds. So 15 times the force um, just to get through the hide on those. So <clears throat> it's funny, this last weekend, I was down in Alabama testing broadheads and a guy shot a buck there. One of the guides there shot a buck with, with one of our broadheads, and it was the same buck he hit in the shoulder blade with a with a rear deploy mechanical. The same head I tested here actually, 40 days prior, and that head just hit the scapula and stopped. And he showed me the video of the deer running away with the arrow, most of the arrow sticking out of it, and that that buck healed up, and then he shot it um, a few days ago with the iron will, and it was behind the shoulder on the near side, but it broke through the shoulder on the far side and then stuck in the dirt eight inches. And, you know, he recovered the buck. And then we did a little video of, of him um, telling the story. And you, we can see the scar in the shoulder blade on that, um, from that mechanical. And that was, it, scapulars are not thick bones, guys. They really aren't. And that mechanical, to hit that scapula with a 70-pound bow, broad completely broad perfectly broadside shot um downward i mean it would have killed the animal if it would have just made it through the scapula and instead you know that deer ran off and he wounded it and he was you know heartbroken over it so um 
yeah, it's crazy how much more mechanicals take and how how popular they still are um, for people to use. It's funny. So anyway, those are the numbers without it, the scapula, actually. And with the scapula, the number for iron wheel was 33 pounds to push down through 152 pounds for a three-blade chisel point, 318 pounds for a three-blade cut on contact. Um, and what I see there is there seems to be this wedging effect. When, you, when you're trying to create this cut in three directions, you know, radially outward with these three-blade heads in, in a scapula, it just kind of seems to have this wedging effect that it takes a lot of force to pop through that scapula. So anyway, 318 pounds, so 10 times higher than iron wheel. And then the rear deploy mechanical, it, it hit 400 pounds before it, it crushed everything down. It was going to hit the table again, and it hadn't penetrated the scapula yet at that force. Hmm. It's interesting because even your guys' test where you put your broadhead through bone, you still have better penetration than all the other ones without bone just muscle or hide in muscle. And so that's cool. So then why the bleeder blades? Like, is that just an insurance policy? Is that, um, is that something you guys did because you felt like it would be an easier sell? Do you actually need the bleeder blades? Um, cause I've never really killed anything with a two blade. Yeah. So I didn't have bleeder blades for the first couple of years in development and I didn't really want to add them. I wanted I was going for max penetration through shoulder blade on an elk and, and you don't need bleeder blades for that. Um, and, and depending on the design, they can, they can hurt you. Um, or, or it may, you know, with our design, there's just a slight decrease in penetration, but it's, it's kind of minimal. Um, but I didn't really want to add them initially. We, we tested product for two years without them. And just once in a while we get a, a lousy blood trail, like, along you know many yards of no blood um with just that straight two blade and i just feel like depending on the where you hit them and the orientation of the hide and the muscles or how they're tensioned that single slice can just close up too easily it um you know sometimes the blood trails were incredible and sometimes they're very poor and you know just for, an out west big game hunter or really probably any big game hunter anywhere man, I can track, but just give me some blood. You know, yep. you got to have some blood to do it. So, um, so I iterated for years. I didn't really want to add the bleeder cause I didn't want to, um, decrease penetration. I didn't want to decrease strength of the feral. And so it was a number of iterations before I got it to where, okay, this feral is just as strong. And, um, and the penetration difference is really minimal. That blade is set back. Um, the whole, like through scapula, and we saw this in a high-speed video, that holes broke out bigger than a bleeder really when it hits there, or maybe just the tips of the bleeder will catch will catch some scapula. Um, so there's kind of a minimal um, negative to it. Um, it really doesn't affect flight because it's small and set back as well, and you've kind of got this, this um, you know, boundary layer that's kind of sp splitting out around your broadhead anyway. So Anyways, they fly just as good and they just put more blood on the ground and why not add, why not have 1.8 inch total cut instead of an inch and a 16th and just cut that animal more, get him to, to put more blood out and die really fast. So, you know, when we added them, I felt like, okay, we've, we don't get a bad blood trail anymore. And usually they're, they're really well, really good. 
And then animals are dying faster too. So I'm a big fan of the bleeder. Um, I recommend them all, but I recommend them for all, but like, you know, Cape Buffalo really for my kind of setup. And then if you've got a lighter setup and you're going after a big animal, you know, if you've got a 50 pound bow and 400 grain arrow and a short draw, um, then maybe I'd say, okay, for, you know, for moose, yeah, I would take away the bleeder, uh, for elk. Yeah. Maybe you want to as well, just to get that more penetration if you've got a really light setup, but, um, yeah, we also got a bunch of people with trad bows that are pretty light shooting with bleeders, um, and getting pastures on elk. So I, yeah, I like the bleeder long story short. I, I think, um, it's, it's a big improvement. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Well, the last thing is like, bro your broadheads aren't cheap to make. So we got to talk about, okay, most guys can't, you know, probably f- buy a hundred broadheads from Iron Will, but uh, they certainly can take care of them. And you've already said it in this podcast that you can sh- sharpen them. And that sharpness is like the most important thing. So how, like, what's the best way to go about it? keeping the broadheads that you do have, say you buy a pack of three or a six pack and you want that to last all season, several different big game hunts. Uh, how often should you sharpen them? Um, should you only have one practice broadhead? How, how do you do it, man? Yes. Yeah, so you're right. Our, our broadheads aren't, aren't cheap, but there's a lifetime warranty and you really can shoot them through animals over and over. And I think that's a different mindset for a lot of people. Um, I know one friend of mine has shot um, seven does with the same broadhead at this point, and I don't think he touched it up for the first three or so. Um, you know what? I've done studies t- shooting into foam, and it's because some guys want to shoot, you know, every broadhead on every arrow that's going into their quiver. And I'll say, that's fine. Shoot it into some dense foam, you know, once or twice at 40 yards, make sure it's hitting good, and, and then just leave it because um, I can't measure any difference in that edge to, um, you know, out to like 10 thousandths of an inch, um, from no shots to five shots into say a Reinhardt foam. Um, so our edge retention is really good. So you'll, I've got ones that I've shot on a target a hundred times and I cut myself on. Um, I've got, I've got stitches too many times from these things because they stay so sharp and I, and I kind of forget that they're going to do that. Um, often you can shoot through an animal and, it depends on what, depends more on what you hit on the other side of it. But a lot of times you can shoot through an animal, clean it up, feel the edges. Does do they still shave hair? If they do, put it back in the quiver. Um, if it doesn't, I've got some videos on my YouTube channel showing just light touch-ups, which you can do with a really fine stone um, freehand. Not everybody can freehand, uh, uh, you know, to sharpen something. I understand that. Um, I've also got videos on there of how to do more thorough sharpening using knife sharpening kit with um, where you can clamp up the blade and, and use stones at set angles and go from, say, a medium to a really fine stone. And that makes it kind of um, kind of foolproof. Um, you can't it's, it's pretty simple to resharpen with one of those setups. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd say just, you know, check out our YouTube channel. If people have questions on it from after that, they can use our contact us form, select the tech support option, or just call our main number and select tech support. I think it's option two and you can get more information from us on it. Mm. Bill, I really appreciate your time. I love geeking out with people smarter than me and people who have an unwavering passion 
for out west archery hunting, specifically elk. Thank you for your time. I will put a link, guys, in the show notes to their YouTube channel so you can go geek out, as well as their Instagram, which is very thorough. And you can go down the rabbit hole. Love archery. I love finding ways to make my setup better. And I know you do too. So thanks for your time, Bill. Yeah, you bet. And yeah, check out our Instagram at, at ironwilloutfitters.com. We try and give like the latest news on our new products and the test results and things as we go there. So yeah, Dan, yeah, Dan thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. And remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. cool guys i hope you dug that podcast bill thanks again for coming on that was super fun to talk and geek out with you um iron will has actually stepped up their game and they're going to help out a little bit with elk shape camps i think a lot of folks know that i've used grim reaper broadheads micro hades three blade on the last three seasons seven the last seven bulls i've killed have been with a grim reaper micro hades three blade and i've had nothing but phenomenal results with that uh i am thinking about tinkering with a little bit of iron wheel i haven't made up my mind yet uh i've officially not signed a contract with grim reaper this year on purpose i told them i was probably going to use their broadhead which i do think i probably will but i am going to want to have the capacity to test other broadheads and stuff and for youtube purposes not have a biased opinion when i do that and so grim reaper i got nothing but love for them they've been so good to elk shape and i'm going to continue to promote them because i believe in them but I also want the uh, autonomy to try other things as well, to just to talk about them. And so I am gonna be using some iron wheel components. I just built a dozen arrows with uh, their 25 grain steel collar. And then like I did a 25 grain hidden insert. And I do have some iron wheels to mess with as far as 125 solids and 100 grain solids. So I'll be doing some tinkering, hashtag ABT, always be tinkering. Just wanted to give them a shout out and tell them thanks for, for all that they do. And, and for those coming to Elk Shape Camps, I got gift certificates for both companies and discount codes. So you'll be able to tinker as well. Uh, let's get you guys a couple of discount codes and we'll call it an episode. So Elk Collective. That is your online resource for learning how to hunt elk with 120-something videos for you to digest. You won't get through them all, but you should try to between now and fall and learn from a variety of elk hunters instead of just one guy's way. Learn everyone's way and expand your tools and your tricks in your bag. Use the discount code ElkShapePodcast, all one word, for $25 off the Elk Collective. Tag Hub, discount code is ElkShape15. I am not sponsored. Get nothing for that. Just a great resource to do your own online research for tag allocation, units, draw odds, as well as filtering down some pretty pertinent information for learning about areas to hunt and if you want to put in for that tag or whatever your game planning. Numa Outdoors, that is the hunting clothing that I wear. Discount code is ElkShape20. Link in the show notes. Check it out. Waypoint, jacket, and pant. Get their base layers. They actually just was at NUMA HQ yesterday at the time of this recording. Met with their CEO. Went over all their new line coming out in 21. I'm going to head back down there for some testing in Texas. Do some Texas hunting in the spring here. And put some of their new stuff 
to the test. And then I'm uh, also got to look at some of their new prototypes. I'll be testing some of that as well. The reason why I'm working with NUMA is because they want to work with me and I get to be a tinkerer of sorts with their new gear and have influence on their designs. Originally, they were a whitetail company. Obviously, they want to tap into the out west market. I'm here to help them. Baku e-bikes, my Salt Lake brethren. These are e-bikes built by hunters, made for hunters. It will be a game changer. Whether you love them or hate them, an e-bike can come in really handy for bear hunting, cruising logging roads with the wind in your face. They don't make a sound. Wear legal. Follow the rules, obviously. Uh, You can use them for hunting as well. You can bugle off them at night and locate elk to hunt the next day. They don't make a sound. You can cover tons of ground. Battery life's awesome. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE300. That'll knock $300 off your purchase. Black Ovis, we have a discount code 10% off. Some exclusions apply. They literally have everything at their website. They even have an arrow builder where you can like pick the arrow and all the components with it inserts, outserts, half certs, and the veins that you want, the vein configuration. And now they're going to start carrying elk shaped veins on their uh, arrow builder. So check them out. Stowaway Gourmet, freeze dried food, stock up early, not sponsored. Discount code elk10 takes 10% off. Northwest Retention Systems, not sponsored. Discount code elk shape, no shipping and handling, and 10% off. Get the scout chest holder, carry a sidearm when you're elk hunting for your family. Wilderness Athlete, discount code ELKSHAPE30. You'll get 30% off your first purchase. That's like my best discount. Get the Hydrate Recover. Get the Energy of Focus. Get some of their premium proteins, multis, fish oil, you name it. In the green formula, for sure. Vortex Wear, discount code ELKSHAPE, 20% off. Hashtag fit for anywhere. Guys, hope that adds some value to you. Thanks for coming on. Listen to this. I'll catch you next week. We got a couple more really kick-ass episodes to drop. I'm looking forward to dropping those. Keep working hard in the name of better elk hunting. And remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.